Hello and welcome to History with Jackson. In today's episode of the English and British Monarch series, we are taking a look at one of England's most infamous kings, King Richard III. Now, as always, we will look at who he was, what his early life was like, what his reign was like, his death, and then, then bring that all together to make a judgment on whether he was a good king or not. Now, I hope you enjoy this episode, but very quickly before we get into it, a little message from our friend Elliot over at Anthology of Heroes. Hey guys, if you're hanging on my good friend Jackson's every word, I'd encourage you to check out my podcast, Anthology of Heroes. My name's Elliot Gates, and in each episode I walk through the life of a hero from a different era of time. Through knife-edge victories, defiant last stands, and epic final speeches, you'll learn about the lives of some of the most fascinating individuals to ever walk the face of the earth. Like Tekon Uman, a Mayan prince who held the line against Spanish conquistadors in a tale that's still famous in Guatemala today. While over on the tiny Mediterranean island of Malta, a 72-year-old Grandmaster Vallette held the line with 600 knights against 40,000 Ottoman invaders in what's remembered as the greatest siege of all time. Or up in Wales, Owen Glendore threw off the shackles of English oppression, rose up against the tyrannical king, and led the Welsh in the greatest rebellion in the country's history. All these stories and so many more are available right now on the Anthology of Heroes podcast, available on all podcasting platforms as well as Instagram. Now back to you, Jackson. Thank you, Elliot. And if you guys enjoyed that little promo, that little clip of an anthology of heroes, check out the description below to have a look at Elliot's work. Now, without further ado, let's learn about Richard III. Richard was born on the 2nd of October 1452 to Richard, Duke of York and Cecily Neville. He was born at Fotheringhay Castle, in Northamptonshire, which is about five to ten minutes outside of where I live in Peterborough. Richard stood at about five foot eight, and according to research done by the University of Leicester, he had a severe scoliosis which made his right shoulder stay higher than his left. Also, through some of the University of Leicester's research, we have found that he was a fair man, he had slender build, and he most likely had blonde hair, or lighter hair, and blue eyes. So what was Richard's early life like? Now Richard, like his elder brother Edward, was born into a difficult political situation for his father. But, unlike Edward, Richard never became old enough to take part in this fighting and instead, throughout this conflict, stayed in England under the care of his extended family. Upon the ascension of his elder brother Edward to the throne, Edward entrusted Richard to the Earl of Warwick, who took care of his education and his training whilst he was a young man. When Richard came of age, he became one of the most powerful nobles in England, as Edward had set him up with several offices and the title of Duke of Gloucester so that he may be the most powerful noble in the north of England. And using this status as the most powerful noble in England, Edward sought to have Richard control the north for him. 
Throughout this period, King Edward frequently clashed with the Earl of Warwick and George, Duke of Clarence. But Richard stayed loyal to his eldest brother. And even when Warwick and Clarence had seized the throne for Henry VI, Richard went into exile with Edward in Europe. Richard even returned with Edward and helped Edward reclaim the throne. This campaign to reclaim the throne allowed Richard to demonstrate that he was a capable military commander and soldier. In this second reign of Edwards, Richard was able to fully take control of the North and act as the Lord in the North. He had no other nobles who could challenge his power and his financial might. Richard was entrusted by Edward to not only control the North, but to protect the northern border from the Scots. And even here, he demonstrated how skilled he was as a military commander. In this second part of Edward's reign, Richard married Warwick's daughter, Anne Neville. And through this marriage, he inherited half of Warwick's estates and shared the other half with his elder brother, George Duke. Clarence. Richard in Edward's reign was clearly a very powerful noble but he was also clearly trusted by King Edward as Edward had laid out in his will that Richard was to be Lord Protector for his son if Edward was to die early and with Edward's death in 1483, Richard took the role of Lord Protector during the minority of his nephew, King Edward V. However, in less than two months, less than two months, Richard had completely undermined not only Edward V, but Edward IV, and he had managed to successfully usurp his own nephew. On the 26th of June, 1483, Richard was crowned king at Westminster Abbey, becoming King Richard III in the process. And quite possibly one of the first things that he ever did in his reign was order the murder, death or disappearance of the two princes in the tower, or King Edward V and the young Prince Richard, Duke of York. As we looked at in the Edward V episode, this event is a particularly contentious event, a event which the outcome has been debated for centuries. But Richard is one of the main suspects within the disappearance of the two princes. And it is an event which has muddied Richard's reputation and particularly an event which muddied his contemporary reputation as well. One of Richard's key supporters and one of the main figures in allowing Richard to come to the throne was the Duke of Buckingham. And Buckingham, within a few months after Richard's coronation and rise to the throne, had defected from Richard's cause. He was in open rebellion. And he set up 
several revolts against Richard across the country. Now Richard's men managed to successfully put out this ill-organised set of revolts against the king. And Richard even marched to meet Buckingham head on. But Buckingham escaped. But the person housing him released him, set him free into the hands of Richard. And Buckingham was arrested and executed on Richard's orders. The defection of Buckingham clearly shows that Richard was not a popular man within the nobility. And due to Buckingham's suspected role in the disappearance of the princes, it also shows not all was right within the royal court of Richard III. Throughout this period, Margaret Beaufort and Elizabeth Woodville conspired against Richard. They were negotiating to arrange the future marriage of Henry Tudor and Elizabeth of York. This marriage would strengthen Henry's claim to the throne and unite the two warring houses of Lancaster and York. And this marriage was announced by Henry Tudor at Vaux Cathedral in France on Christmas Day 1483. At this ceremony at this cathedral in 1483, Henry not only announced his future marriage to Elizabeth of York, he also had his supporters pay him homage in the same way a king's supporters would pay homage to a king. This clearly announced Henry's intentions to take the English throne. In retaliation to this event, in January 1483, Richard called a parliament. And at this parliament, Richard passed the Titius Regius, that's the best I can pronounce it, which clearly stated that Richard was the rightful king, the rightful ruler of England, and disinherited anybody else who might have a claim. He also attainted, removed the title and disinherited, of any rivals or supporters of Henry Tudor. And he also confirmed that his own son, Prince Edward, was to be his heir. In the aftermath of this parliament, supporters of Henry Tudor fled England to join Henry on the continent. And many nobles who were on the cusp of supporting Henry also fell to support Henry and also fled to join him at his court. Whilst Richard's nobles might have thought him a tyrant, he was also attempting to be a more fair king for his subjects, for the poor of the country. Richard attempted to make the justice system more accessible for the poor by creating funds that they could access so they could try and bring people to justice. He also outlawed Edward IV's forced loans or benevolences, which the merchants disliked. And he also tried to allow trade to flourish. England had a flourishing or growing trade in books due to the recent invention of the printing press. And Richard was a keen supporter of allowing this to flourish. In April 1484, Richard's position began to grow unstable as his only son and heir 
passed away. And then, little over a year later, his wife and Neville passed away as well, reducing his chance of creating a legitimate male heir. Henry saw his moment, and in the summer of 1485, he mustered up forces from France and landed in Wales. Upon landing, Henry marched to reach Richard, and they met at Bosworth. On the 22nd of August 1485, Henry Tudor and King Richard III met in battle at the Battle of Bosworth, just outside Leicester. At this battle, Richard was demonstrating his capability as a strong military commander and excellent soldier. Richard himself was fighting. He was cutting through the Lancastrian forces to make a route, a direct path for himself to meet Henry Tudor. At the side of the battle stood Lord Stanley. Lord Stanley was a close ally of Richard III, but he was also Henry Tudor's stepfather. Lord Stanley saw that Richard was cutting a path towards Henry. He saw his stepson in danger and he commanded his 3,000 troops to join the Tudor side of the battle. Suddenly, Richard became overwhelmed and attacked on all sides of the battle. Upon examination of his skull, the University of Leicester have found that Richard was fighting without his helmet on and that he was being attacked on all sides. They have found that Richard received several small injuries that sliced off or shaved off fractions of his skull. They also found that Richard suffered three injuries that could have ended his life, two of which sliced or pierced into his skull, into his brain, and a third cut into the back of his head, exposing his brain. These three injuries could have killed him. They also found that Richard received several facial and body injuries inflicted upon Richard's body as punishment or humiliation for his loss. Richard's death ended the Battle of Bosworth. And Henry Tudor's forces took Richard's body, stripped it naked and strapped it to the back of a horse. They then carried the body to Leicester and buried it at Greyfriars. Under Henry VIII, Greyfriars would be demolished and Richard's body lost. But in 2012, the Richard III Society and the University of Leicester set out to find Richard. And they found Richard III underneath a city centre car park. And in 2015, Richard was reinterred at Leicester.
Cathedral. And there is a massive tomb to commemorate Richard that you can go and see in Leicester Cathedral. Was Richard III a good king? Now I think Richard III was not as bad a king as history remembers him. I think he was a good king for the commoners, his subjects of England, but that he managed his relationship with the barons in a poor way. And that this relationship with the barons was soured during Edward V's reign and that he, it would never improve from that point onwards. So no, I don't think he was a good king, but I still think he's not as bad as history remembers him. Now, as always, I'm going to recommend some bits and pieces to look at if you want to learn more about Richard. Now, firstly, I will recommend the University of Leicester's site on Richard III. They've got some really fantastic pieces on the injuries that he received, his skeleton and the analysis that they did on that and his DNA. So there's some really fascinating information on there that you really should check out. And secondly, is these two books, The Hollow Crown by Dan Jones and The Indispensable Guide to England and Her Monarchs. These are both fantastic books. I've learned so much from them and they've been a staple of these series. So I both, I recommend both of these books. And all the links will be in the description as always. Now, if you want to keep up to date with everything History of Jackson related, please head to www.historywithjackson.co.uk or alternatively head to the social media links in the description below. If you enjoyed this video, this podcast, this series, please make sure to like, review and rate. really helps History of Jackson grow. And also, if you think other people will like these videos, please remember to share. That's all for this week, guys. And I look forward to seeing you guys next week where we talk about Henry Tudor, Henry VII, the beginning of the Tudor dynasty. So I look forward to seeing you there and I hope you enjoyed this episode.